This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is, if I would have only known, a candid conversation with leaders. In this series, we discuss brigade combat team warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi. Uh, on behalf of the Joint Readiness Training Center Operations Group, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, uh, the commander of Operations Group, commonly known as the COG, uh, and my call sign is Oscar Six. Uh, today on our show, uh, we're excited to have Colonel Randy Lau uh, here with us. Uh, he's the commander of the 79th Infantry Brigade Combat Team, Thunderbolts, uh, from the California National Guard. And they just recently completed their rotation, uh, decisive action uh, training environment, rotation 2208.5. And so here at Fort Polk in the uh, very warm and humid month of July, uh, Randy and his team have been fighting over 14 days against the dreaded Tarikans in Arnland. And we're excited to get a talk with him about what we learned uh, and how that impacts our army and the National Guard. Okay, so Randy, uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, you guys had a, a great rotation, uh, intense uh, 14 days. It really started uh, several months ago as you prepared to come here. And, um, you know, we're excited to have you here. And I'm excited uh, up front. Um, you know, I learned a lot from you just about the National Guard. And, and as, um, you know, I watched your, you and your team fight here, I couldn't help but think about uh, my neighbor and uh, friend uh, who was the deputy commander for me for some months, uh, Steve Rivera, who just took command of a brigade in Texas, uh, and thinking about what, what I should be writing down and what I didn't understand to help prepare him. So up front, you know, I'd ask, um, you know, help me understand uh, – the guard, the National Guard, as you fight here at Arnland, and what are maybe some things that an active duty soldier like myself didn't understand about uh, the National Guard? Sure. Matt, first of all, thank you and your entire team for helping us become the best version of ourselves. So uh, for the National Guard, um, we train 24 days a, a year, 15 days out of the year for annual training. Uh, I would say that one of, the, one of the challenges that we have or opportunities for this rotation is, is being able to bring in 21 different states, um, converging here for the first time and working as a combined arms team uh, is one of the challenges. Uh, our typical rhythm for uh, training year or training cycle is year one is really focused on the individual level training. Uh, year two would be a warfighter. Last year, year three was an XCTC, and then we culminate with a CTC in year four. Next year, we would be a ready year, ready to deploy. Okay, and so... Help me understand the the variations of M days and uh, versus AGR. Uh, you know, I heard Major General Leaney, the division commander for 40th ID. Uh, I heard you you both go back and forth, and he would ask, "Are you an M day guardsman?" Sure. Um, can you explain that for me? Sure. An M day soldier or a traditional soldier is a soldier that either enlists or commissions into the National Guard, and by default, uh, they train typically one week in a month and two weeks out of the year. However, over the last 20 years, we tend to do more than that. Uh, the M-Day soldier or traditional soldier has a life outside of the Guard. 
I mean, in my formation, I have students, I have employers, I have employees, I have the unemployed, uh, a variety of backgrounds and diversity. I think that's one of the strengths of the Guard is that in my formation, you'll have everything from, like I said, a cook all the way to an entrepreneur, a cook that's a captain or an entrepreneur that's a specialist. So that is that is why we exist as a Guard. Now, um, also in the Guard, we also have what we call the AGRs, Active Guard Reserve, like myself, full-timers. The full-timers are there at a resource um, to create the framework so that when a soldier shows up to drill weekend or the annual training period or a CTC, all the pieces and parts are there for the traditional guardsmen to conduct training. Um, the challenges and opportunities that we have, again, is 48 UDAs. That means 24 days broken over 12 months. Um, we have a captive audience for about a weekend. And when that training is done over the weekend, they go right back to whatever the, that we're, they're doing. Um, and so the, the challenge that we have is how do we bridge one month to the next month and make sure that we still have those war fighting skills, which is a very difficult and sometimes to maintain. Um, and that all becomes to fruition here at uh, GRTC when we meet for the first time, 21 different states, 4,500 soldiers, uh, varying levels of the degrees of experience and proficiency. And I don't like, I like to say is that we don't rise to the occasion. We fall back on what we know, and that's what the, the rotation has done for us. It's, it's identified areas that we are strong in and areas that we need, to, need definitely need, need to improve in. Yeah, I think that comment of we fall back to, um, you know, to our training, I, I found that to be true, um, you know, not only in my own experiences um, doing this, but also, you know, watching uh, other units. Um, and, and it's good. I mean, those are the habits that we have. And I think that's a, a healthy way to look at it. So before we kind of talk about some of those impacts, um, I just want to get your hot takes. Like, what'd you think? Uh, 14 days of uh, fighting. Uh, we, we, you got everything. You got uh, thunderstorms. You got high heat, humidity. You got a lot of Geronimo, uh, attack, defend, live fires. Just give me kind of your initial impressions of what this was for you. I would tell you, I tell you as a, as a, M-Day commander, first of all. My full-time job is not as a brigade commander. It as, was as the Army G3 for Nevada. Um, so bridging that gap and understanding what it is that a brigade commander does in a fight. It's the first time I've ever been a BCT commander at a rotation. So there's a huge learning curve. I would say overall, humbling. It's a humbling experience. Uh, I don't think you can come to the CTC and not be humbled every day. Because if you're not being humbled, hey, I gotta jump in. My yeah. first, my first rotation as a cog, same experience. Never been a cog before. Yeah. Humbling, kind of the things I saw and learned. So I mean, I think that's a, uh, yeah, as a theme, like that's that's just how JRTC is, right? It's just a humbling and, experience. You know what I what I wanted to do for the brigade is to create a mindset uh, bias for action, and I clearly defined or broadly defined what I thought winning was. It wasn't just about finding Geronimo or the Tarikans and. Dominating. It was all the systems and processes that we didn't have the opportunity during drill weekends uh, throughout the last couple of years to really bring together to bear um, basically the arsenal and the, the power of the brigade, the BCT. And what I found as a struggle is bringing, you know, as a brigade commander, how do you harness 4,000 of these entities and bring it to bear at the right time and place? So that was that was challenging in itself. While I had a mindset to win, um, there are a lot of I would say internal friction points that prevented us prevented us from moving as quickly or as fast or in, in a manner that we wanted to maintain. So it was it was challenging. Uh, some days are to be honest with you, I'm like I don't know how the hell we're going to get through this day. Um, but we persevered and the team got together. And what I what I saw out of this experience were leaders that I didn't expect to step up to the plate really accelerate. Uh, some leaders I expected to, 
to do well, they did well. And you could really see the leaders that were challenged in this environment um, that simply could not um, meet the mark. And so again, humbling experience. Um, mindset is what I was looking for, a winning mindset. Um, having a bias for action. And then as I broke down how I define winning for the brigade combat team down to the platoons, at the brigade, what I was really focused on is was mastering transitions. We got better at that. Uh, being able to resource the brigade when it needed to fight and also being able to shape the fight for the maneuver folks. And so that's, I, I don't know, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I saw the rotation. And every day I asked the team to be, you know, just be a better version of yourself. Take one lesson and apply it. And some days we were better at it and some days we weren't. What do you think? Did we did we achieve that though? Were we better than when we started? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, and it, you know, as you described uh, individual leaders, uh, but also seeing units, you know, my... my my opportunity uh, with getting a little bit more sleep uh, than than you probably got in this was, you know, that absolutely happened. And it's, I mean, that's the best part about this job is getting yeah. to watch people grow and getting to watch units grow. Um, you know, as you as you described, um, the, really the challenges of bringing in, uh, I think you had twenty one states represented. That's right. Uh, bringing that all together, bringing some folks that uh, active component, uh, you know, active guard reserve, uh, some folks that probably had recently come from active uh, duty service and some that had been traditional M-Day soldiers, maybe their entire career. You know, how do you think that affected operations for you? Yeah. So 21 states, 4,500 different soldiers from every walks of life, every compo. Um, what I realized, and I'll give credit to Lieutenant General Donahue, one of his super conferences, he said, if uh, to be the brigade combat team, you got to understand the other piece of the combat team. Um, and so I spent a lot of time uh, with the deep fighters, as I call it, my cavalry squadron and all the INTS, the SIGINT humans. But I also spent a lot of time with the other 50%, the enabler, the brigade engineer battalion, the brigade support battalion, even the CSSB who doesn't work for us. I spent a lot of time understanding their capabilities and limitations. And then realizing that through those discussions, I knew sustainment and communication was very important, but it was galvanized when I talked to them and galvanized again when we were went black and amber and sustainment and our inability to communicate in depth. Um, so I had to take a step back. I had to manage my own expectations. We couldn't move as fast as we wanted to, even though there were pressures in this pressurized environment. We wanted to move faster, but we just couldn't do it. There's... I think the more we pushed, the more friction we met. At some point, the friction got to a point where we just had to stop. Um, and that, you know, working with your team, uh, looking at the conditions, being more of a conditions-based organization. Um, optimal, optimally, you want every block to be green, um, but that's where the commander commander's role that comes in is to mitigate risk. If you're red, do we still execute the operation? If you execute the operation, what are the second, third order effects um, I might have to deal with down the road? And sometimes you just don't know it. You might be solving one problem and creating two or three other issues down the road. And I think that's the design of this rotation. No, I, absolutely. And I mean, this idea of pressurization, which is really hard to do to yourself uh, in training and, and even hard, I think, at home stations yep. to replicate. Um, I mean, for better or worse, JRTC like, pr is a pressurized environment. Um, you know, the environment from the division headquarters that we replicate, the adjacent brigades that we replicate here, yep. uh, and then, you know, world-class op four that's really meant to stress um, decisions that, that highlight risk and opportunity as well as um, really press against the existing friction uh, right. that you have so that you can see it 
clearly. And that's the value of doing this here for two weeks. We don't have that luxury back home for on a weekend. Just as we start to man the force and we start to go out to the box, we identify problems. We identify the problems and then the weekend's over. Uh, we might get to a solution, but it won't be addressed again until the next month, if we have drill the next month. So in this pressurized environment, you're able to work through those issues. Uh, you're able to look outside the box. Um, you're able to uh, use resources that you don't typically have, like, for example, um, units that are adjacent, like phys physically near you, you can reallocate resources. That's something that I, that I took away that I couldn't do at home station, is that I could re help reprioritize resources and, and events quickly here that I couldn't do back home. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and it was cool to watch that. I think not just at your level, but watching battalion commanders be able to do that, that realize that they're fighting as part of not just a, a bigger brigade team, but even the division as right. we uh, had an aviation task force that was working for the 21st uh, Infantry Division Airborne and the the uh, CSSB as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what would you tell your peers, right? So, you know, out, out there in the audience, we've got, I'm sure Steve Rivera, you're listening, right? And, and other IBCT commanders in the guard, uh, you know, what would you tell them? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons here for all IBCT commanders, but, but specifically, um, you know, your peers out there in the National Guard at the BCT level, what sure. would you tell them? So my uh, brother, sister brigades, the 29th IBCT out of Hawaii and the 44th IBCT out of New Jersey, they're next in the harbor. Um, first of all, we will make ourselves available to them because there's a lot of lessons learned. I think if you were to go back a year, the area that I would lean into the most is sustainment. Again, 21 different states. I don't know what the other configurations will be for the other IBCTs, but you have 21 different priorities, 21 different uh, ideas of what the rotation will look like, um, but really grabbing a hold of, of these uh, enabling states and bring them in sooner. Um, and also not only the units, but the states that are supporting these units. Uh, every state has its own G4. Every state has its own USPFNO, the money, the resourcing, the movement, and bringing them in sooner. Because really what this is is a focus on sustainment and communication. And I almost wish, well, looking at uh, talking with some of my, my staff officers, we almost need a sustainment and um, communications rotation. And if that's all I focused on, uh, we could do all the operations in the world that we wanted to. So I would say... Uh, Getting left of, I won't say training, but getting left of resourcing and how do I, um, how do I spend? I would spend more time on upper communication, upper TI, getting those mission command systems up first, uh, and then with along with that is, is the sustainment piece. Because as we saw in the box, I uh, knew sustainment and communications were going to be an issue, but it manifested itself very quickly, even before we got out in the box. Yeah, with fuel, um, the inability to communicate, and then it, as we went to the box, the first two or three days was just very difficult. We couldn't fight the way we wanted to fight because we ran out of sustainment and we couldn't communicate on the platforms that we should have been communicating on. So this really spending more time on those two areas would be beneficial. And I think those things, you know, in fairness, they're hard for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the ability to sustain a brigade combat team under, you know, really operating under high stress, high tempo, be able to communicate with units extended and uh, the reporting um, and the command and control um, in space and time, accelerated time, and across a broad space. I think that challenges like every brigade combat team. Um, the, the difference might be active units at least get to see it more and experience that friction more. So there you know, might be a little bit uh, greater appreciation 
um, from the beginning that those things, you know, how how challenging those things will be. Sure. So I don't think that was unique that that was challenging uh, for the 79th. Uh, but I, I do think that that advice to your peers, like, hey, we got to spend some time thinking about how we're going to fight sustainment, yeah. how we're going to fight command and control, uh, particularly the signal component of that uh, up front and that work um, that needs to be done a year out uh, is is key. And I will say, yeah. <clears throat> I'd also add it's not just a whole estate, whichever brigade, whichever state has the brigade, and it. it's really a whole whole of guard nation. Yeah, because again, twenty varying states, varying priorities, um, and this is you know, the guard has two opportunities to conduct CTCs. Typically, it's at the, one at the C, uh, NTC and then one here. Uh, so this is an opportunity to showcase the, the guard nation. And I think from that perspective, a whole of nation approach from a National Guard perspective would help facilitate uh, the statement and communications issues. Yeah, and I, I think the other two is a, um, I would say almost every other rotation has, you know, guardsmen participating, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, attached engineer company or with the, the brigade engineer battalion or, um, sustainment elements uh, with the BSB. So so this is common to yeah. every BCT needs to be thinking about those challenges with how do we integrate uh, guard units from different states as so, well. And to that point, um, as a G3 for Nevada, when we, whenever we sent out uh, enabling units to others, uh, we didn't see, I didn't see the engagement from the BCT. Um, so taking that lesson learned, my Sergeant Major, my, some of my senior leaders, we made it a point to reach out to the smaller units to make sure they felt the, the love from the brigade. Yeah. Uh, because everyone, you know, when you come here for 21 days, you want to feel like you contributed. Again, I said before, um, the challenge I have is how do I bring all these all these assets to bear? Because every one of these soldiers wants to contribute. Every one of these soldiers who has left their employers, families, school, wants to know that somehow that uh, their three weeks here mattered. And it's not just, hey, we're just sitting sitting down idle. And one of my, one of my one of my uh, uh, talking points to the brigade is no idle hands, no idle minds. Understand the intent. And, hey, for three weeks, you can choose to do nothing or you can choose to make something out of, out of nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I firmly believe, you know, our responsibility, um, you know, as well, you know, as, as a leader is I, I, I have an obligation to prepare people for the worst day of their life, praying that it never happens. Um, but this is the opportunity to prepare people for the worst day of their life, whether that's uh, in combat, whether that's a natural disaster. But, you know, you brought up at the beginning, how do we get better every single day? And, you know, we we owe that to, to those soldiers, whether they're an active soldier, whether they're guardsmen here, to make the most of their time here to help them yeah. be better. Another, another uh, addition I'd like to add, too, is learning. You know, our, one of the points I brought up was, hey, be able to fight, win, and then learn. Um, and then being open to your team's advice and your recommendations um, because, you know, you, you see more reps and sets. You train with units that have a higher op-tempo readiness than we do. And so just simply being open, taking in the recommendations because obviously you see something, that those little nudges, I paid attention to those. Yeah. And then it's a, it's a matter of, hey, what do I do with this information and how do I implement it so I can be uh, a better version of where we were yesterday? Well, I, you know, and I think the example from Bravo uh, 118 Cav, um, that troop, their ability to learn translated into winning. I mean, in two instances on the battlefield and the attack, that troop you know, made mistakes, 
took counsel, internalized that counsel, learned from it. The first instance, uh, you know, they they identified a probable line of contact, dismounted, cleared, were able to destroy right. enemy element and continue on on behalf of the squadron and the brigade. And then the second um, instance where they were there, about 48 hours later, uh, that troop, uh, when they basically reached their limit of reconnaissance, uh, based on the size of the enemy and the disposition of the enemy, they employed small UAS to continue reconnaissance, you know, extending that forward. And I think that's awesome. I mean, that's what we're here to do. So the units that win faster or learn faster win. Uh, and and that, that troop certainly won here, uh, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, okay, so, you know, continuing on, the, on this vein, uh, you know, what would you tell, um, you know, company commanders, company battery troop commanders out there, what they, you know, what they should take away from this I and mean, what you observe that they should take away to learn to be better uh, in right. this environment? <clears throat> I would say left of LD uh, before your SP, um, troop leading procedures, operation orders, and then rehearsals. If they can do those three things, it's all nested under TLPs. But if they could just be good at that, PCs and PCIs, can't forget about that. Um, and rehearsing, like, as I say, not you know, rehearse to get it right, but rehearse to you can't get it wrong, um, they will be successful. Once they cross LD or SP, the thing they have to understand, which we, what we struggled on, is number one is understanding the commander's intent. What does the boss and boss's boss want me to do or commander want me to do? Number two is what am I expected to do? What's my task and purpose? And then number three is, is how effective am I at action on contact? It's not a matter of if or when. It's how often am I going to make contact. And when that contact is made, do you understand what your boss wants? Do you understand what you have to do? And can you rapidly um, maneuver on the enemy? Um, company commanders also have to be very good at maneuvering platoons to its advantage um, and also being, being able to bring indirect fires to bear on the enemy. If they can do that, maneuvering platoons to a position of advantage and bringing them to bear effects, they will be extremely successful. Yeah. I, you know, so as you talked about the troop leadership procedures and, and orders, rehearsals, pre-combat checks, pre-combat inspections, those are really foundational things and they sound easy, really easy. <clears throat> right. Um, but, you know, what did what did you find with company battery troop commanders, their ability to do those? So uh, simply pulling around. Some commanders could not recite the troop leading procedures. That's something that should be drilled in. Um there was a lot of assumptions that some people should know. Um, the checks and inspections weren't being done. Um, the rehearsals weren't being done. Um, and I, I remember months ago and leading up to this, I said, hey, a bad order can be made up by an effective rehearsal. And an effective rehearsal could be compounded by conducting your battle drills. Um, and then we didn't, we didn't see that come to fruition. Um, I asked my leaders to be uncomfortable, be comfortable with uncomfortable, you know, being uncomfortable, because at that in that phase of being uncomfortable is where most of the learning, learning was. Um, I found that uh, discipline, initiative, and bias for action—it's easily discussed, but for some reason we just couldn't holistically, whether it be at the battalion, brigade, um, company, opportunity. Some some pockets we had that, but most yeah, most times we didn't have that. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, it's a different that mindset from coin to large scale combat operations. It's it's different. Yeah. No. I I think you're you're uh, I think you're highlighting a lot of things that are really important, but that are also really hard. I mean, hey, you know, we're both colonels. I'm I'm not far removed from from having commanded a brigade, and a lot of the challenges that company battery troops have, like ultimately, it's a, it's a it's our fault. 
right? Like yeah. it's our fault from a, a time perspective. It's our fault um, from the intent that we give. Yeah. And, you know, how many times you maneuvered a brigade? Once. Here, right? That's right. And then it's same, you know, I got the opportunity to maneuver a brigade when I came through our rotation. And so, you know, we're also learning at what we do. Um, you know, I think brigade commanders, and, and you did, I mean, you spent a lot of time practicing at your commander's intent and the guidance you were given to be better at it. Um, but I think to your point about company battery troop commanders, you know, we see that w we need them to be really good um, at, at the troop leadership procedures. Um, right. We need them to have a lot of repetitions at that. Uh, in part because, like, we're learning how to do this at the brigade level. It's hard at the brigade level. The scale um, at the brigade level is is a lot more. It's not a bigger battalion. That's right. Um, and so I, th I think, you know, part of how company battery troop commanders can help brigade commanders is being really, really good at doing troop leadership procedures. Troop leadership procedures and being able to take rocks out of the rock sack of your hire and not yeah. to it. And, 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 and really <clears throat> trying something. Just doing something, right? Taking the initiative, making those fall and forward mistakes, which I had talked about, yeah. communicated. But when it came in, um, in reality, it just didn't manifest itself. I did. I don't know how you train that piece, yeah. Unless you do more reps and sets here. Yeah, but uh, you pulled on something I thought was interesting. Is like, okay, even, even if even if you know you're slow in getting an order out um, to a battalion, and battalion's slow to getting it to a company. If they rehearse the battle drills, if they've done the pre-combat checks inspections, and like we're a lot further along to success than we would have been if they're just waiting for the order, and um, so it doesn't absolve us being better at our level. Uh, but we, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we need company battery troop commanders that are really putting in the work at basic troop leadership procedures, and those things are tried and true for a reason. They work, right? right? The rehearsals at battle drills, the pre-combat checks and inspections, and then ultimately, you know, issuing uh, op orders. Um, and those op orders, they don't have to be the 40-page Word document, right? right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, and I think back to a couple of the, you know, what we've seen here, uh, particularly – um, you know, Bravo troops' ability to issue graphics that were commonly disseminated really helped them in the fight. Uh, common operating picture uh, clearly understood. I think uh, also um, we mentioned it multiple times is, uh, to my team is how do I accelerate my intent down? And then more importantly, how do I accelerate information as they're seeing things up? So there are things that are happening. The intent at my level to battalions were, 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 was communicated. But from battalions down to the squad and the team leaders, didn't happen as often. Yeah. I and mean, the information um, that the squads and teams were seeing that could have been decisive didn't make it up to my level until you know, something bad happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I know we talked about, and I think, you know, as, as we fought through uh, the rotation and in live fire, so, it, you know, the last mission we did – we did have orders at the company level. We did have rehearsals at the company level. Um, you know, pretty pretty good uh, brigade combined arms rehearsal. Um, you know, I think some of this gets to the friendly forces information requirements. When we set friendly forces information requirements at the brigade level and say, hey, I want to know when everybody right. has the graphics, Yeah, that kind of lends itself to wanting to report good news, right? That, and and part of this, until I've talked with you and your team, FFIR is always something that we lost. Yeah. The decision, but FFIR say, hey, this criteria has been met. 
uh, that was something new. I didn't, I had never thought about that. Yeah. How did that work for you guys? I'd say 50%. 50-50. 50-50. Yeah. 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 I, I do think it, I do think it lends itself to that kind of bias of action though, of sure. like, you know, you know, people want to tell us they got the gold star, Right. And uh, so, I mean, it's one way out there I think we can help. And I think, you know, with your team, we saw that growth over time. Again, probably not complete, but uh, but a lot of progress there. Also, yeah, I mean, your coaches were your OCTs were providing timely advice, and recommendations and coaching. And what we also did, you know, as part of the I had to remind ourselves, hey, we're, we're command to drive the operations process. And after our first attack didn't go so well, we planned for the defense. Uh, one of the one of the things I wanted to get better at at brigade level was transitions. And as we, as the, the defense was happening, and as we were getting ready to plan the next attack, I said, hold on, time out. Let's go back and take a look at what we failed on, on the attack. We broke it all out, all the issues, and we broke it up by war fighting functions. We pinned the roles on who's responsible for that. And then we integrated that, the lessons learned, the assessment back into the attack. And um, at least the planning and preparation process was much better than it was before. Yeah, and then we, like I said, um, the transition piece between current ops and future ops, that's where the first I don't know, four days we weren't so good at it, but by days five and six we we began getting very good at hey current ops after the car here's your here's your graphics, all right planners let's sit down and plan for the next phase so we started to get better at that process which is one of the hardest things because everyone wants to look at the shiny object which is the near fight. No, absolutely, and I and I think we I think we saw that in the last couple operations for sure, and it was it was fun to see that growth. And as you described up front, like you know, certain leaders, uh, you know, I always say like playing big. I mean, you had some yeah. leaders that played big, um, which was was really cool to watch them take on that responsibility and be accountable right. uh, for for success. I mean, that was like one of the best things I think about the the mid row AAR was you know a captain standing yeah. up and saying, "Hey, I didn't do this, and I didn't." I didn't do the thing that was going to take care of the brigade, and this is what I got to do to fix yeah. it. And I think to that point, everyone under, has to understand there's no individual companies or battalions. There's one brigade, and we're all moving to the, in the sound of the guns. We're all moving to the direction of the where the BCT commander, the intent, where do we want to go? As I mentioned before, all thrusts, no vector is what we experienced. Uh, that's because we didn't have clear, defined guidance by myself. Um, but... Uh, once we started communicating that, listen, there's a bigger fight than what you got going on, company commander, battalion commander. And if you're lacking behind, there are second, third order effects to your brothers and sisters to your left and right. And so just being conscious about who's to your left and your right, are you behind, are you too far forward, um, over-communicating uh, is something that we've developed. We, we weren't good at it at first. We're getting better at it. Um, but I, I would say that's one of the things for my BCT commanders out there uh, is to understand that we were fighting for a much bigger version of ourselves. We we're a part of something larger than ourselves and not to be isolated. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the kind of the changes uh, with JRTC uh, over time is now it really is fought within a division construct and with adjacent brigades. Um, you know, you had to deal with Ace on your on one flank and Queen and Joker, other other brigades out there that are participating in the, the division battle rhythm events. Right. You know, as well. And like that's part of the pressure to keep moving is that you have adjacent units either that are uh, in front of you on your flanks or are being held up by the right. enemy. And you got to. And to that point, I felt like I was in a dilemma. Number one is, yep, I'm falling behind with my notional brigades left and right of me. But physically, in reality, uh, we just couldn't move fast enough. 
Yeah. And so that's that's where the conditions checks come in. I'm like, listen, I don't care. Let's move out. We'll deal with the consequences on the back end. Yeah. And so I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, and that's the point, right? Is obviously is to put the brigade in dilemmas under load right. um, to to provide that pressurized environment, those stressors, mm-hmm. um, which was, and it, you know, as an outsider, it was, it was, it was cool. It was, uh, it was neat to watch you and your team grow kind of through that. Um, not always easy, not always nope. uh, clean, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, a- absolutely part of it. All right, so we got, um, you know, probably a bunch of soldiers out there from different guard units around. Uh, maybe, you know, don't know anybody that's ever been through a Joint Readiness Training Center uh, rotation, have one a year from now, have one uh, two years from now on the calendar. What advice would you just <clears throat> give them? I mean, a regular uh, soldier out there in the fight, what what advice would you give them as they, as they mentally prepare uh, themselves, but also, you know, as a part of the team preparing from a training perspective yeah. to come here? Uh, I would ask, I would say that uh, you have to remind yourself why we exist as an army. In the Guard, we have two missions. The federal mission to deploy overseas at the behalf of the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the United States, or deploy locally um, for domestic operations, fires, floods, whatever that may be. Reminding yourself why we exist, why this U.S. Army is on our on our chest here, uh, because there is a bigger threat out there. Um, our peers that are out there, they're at peer and they're doing bad things out there as we were watching Russia and Ukraine. So it's really about mindset. And in fact, one of the things I have to communicate to my team when, when we get back, or even before we get back, is 30 days, right? 30 days of our soldiers getting wounded, either physically emotionally or spiritually. I, and I have to explain to them, what, is, what was the purpose of the civilian taxpayers paying over $50 million for us to be here? And that was, to, and that is to maintain the highest state of readiness because our, our, our peers are, are watching what, what it is that a compo two unit is doing here at the rotation. Its ability to move itself, one of the largest, if not the largest mobilization of California across country here, that's in itself is a huge lift because it engages the entire state and the nation. Um, how are we as a complete two unit able to come together, 21 different states, 4,500 soldiers, um, and to be able to conduct large-scale combat operation? It matters. Um, it matters from a readiness perspective. Uh, most importantly is taking the lessons learned from this rotation, rapidly integrating th- that into our plan and making sure that when we go back to home station, we don't lose these lessons. Um, I don't care if the um, com- command teams rotate out. It's going to be those E5s and those captains that will see this again in about five years. So the takeaway is, is really about why, why we matter, um, our role in the bigger scheme of things. And uh, as a reminder is that our role is to defend this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we, we see a big threat in Eastern Europe. And if the call comes, we have to be ready. We just have to be ready. And that's what the citizens um, expect from us. That's what our fallen comrades expect from us. And more importantly, uh, that's what our families expect because we represent one half of one percent of the entire population, and that population is getting smaller and smaller. That should choose to serve and defend our, our way of life. That's why it matters. Yeah, right on. Hey, uh, so um, that's I mean it's powerful, and and uh, you know upfront like grateful. Um, you know I've got a lot of deployments. Every single deployment I've been on have served with the uh, you know members of the National Guard. Uh, great men and women out there uh, representing not only you know their their states but their communities, their families, and ultimately the nation. And um, 
humbling and humbling to watch. I mean, you know, this, you know, the sacrifices that, that you and your team make to do this, you know, are not lost on me. Um, and, you know, I just appreciate up front, like the way that your team has come in. It, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, especially you watch young soldiers, you know, out there uh, yesterday watching the live fire, uh, you know, as an as a old uh, mentor of mine used to say, you know, hitting the sled every single time, uh, backing up, doing it again, backing up, doing it again. That effort uh, to establish the right habits to fall back to, because uh, okay. that's what's going to happen as you set up front, um, it is really inspiring and awesome. And and I think, you know, what one of the things that you highlighted there is this is about not just today and being ready today, but really an investment. Um, and it's a big investment but an investment in future leaders uh, going forward. Those captains that are going to be majors, those staff sergeants that are going to be first sergeants. Uh, somewhere in this formation is the future commander of the 79th uh, Infantry Brigade Combat Team um, that, that got this experience now and in 15, 20 years is going to be commanding this brigade. Um, sure. and, and what do they experience and learn from this? And hopefully, um, you know, we're preparing them for the hard things that, you know, God willing don't have to happen, but if they do, that they're ready for it. Um, so, you know, I'd like to thank you, uh, for serving your nation, uh, and the state, but also, um, you know, helping to prepare a generation. Appreciate uh, the time that you've given to us here uh, today. Uh, appreciate what you've done over the last part of the rotation and, and that uh, transparency uh, and commitment to being better every single day, I think, you know, made the 79th better, uh, but certainly, you know, helping to make our team better and the Army better. So uh, thanks so much yeah. uh, for what thanks, you man. do every day. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.